You're listening to an audiobook presentation of The Grendel's Shadow by Andrew Maine. You can purchase it for 99 cents on Amazon, on their Kindle store, on your Kindle, or on all major phones using the Kindle app, including iPhones, Androids, Blackberries, and Windows 7. It's also available on the Nook store and Apple's iBooks. Chapter 2 The splashdown was more uneventful than Alan had been expecting. He was thankful for that. In fact, he hadn't noticed they'd landed until the rocking sensation of the waves began to give him an entirely different kind of nausea than he'd been experiencing during atmospheric entry. He'd never known that he could suffer two kinds of motion sickness. Add that to the lingering effects of weightlessness he was feeling from being dropped from orbit, and it was three. A fourth if he included the hunger pains he was feeling. Now what? he asked Westwood. Westwood tossed him an energy bar from his backpack. We wait. Alan looked at the nearest hatch. Should we signal them or something? They know we're here. The automatics got us this far. They'll send a boat out to get us. Pulling the shoulder harness like it was a prisoner restraint, Alan grumbled. Primitives. It's a choice. Not yours or mine, but a choice. Westwood took another bite from his energy bar. While we're on the topic, I want to remind you that you're here as my guest, and only under duress at that. Please be respectful of the people here. I think a lot of things they do are silly, make things unnecessarily complicated, but it's their world. We have to respect that. Even when their way of life is why they have to bring in someone like you? I've done my thing on lots of worlds. Some just as sophisticated as where you're from. Alan eyed the rifle in Westwood's arms. Since following him, he'd come to appreciate that Westwood's reputation wasn't just as a hunter, but knowing what to hunt. From outside the capsule, they could hear low rumbling. Alan undid his harness to look out the window. My lord! He turned back to Westwood. It's a steam-powered boat! I mean, I guess I should have expected that, but goodness, where did they find it? Westwood undid his harness and looked out the window. My guess is that they made it. Alan looked at the vessel incredulously. Themselves? By hand? Without automatics? Like how they used to. Westwood's hand unconsciously glided over the sponge woodstock of his rifle. I've been to art galleries and maker shows, but I've never seen something like this in practical use. Alan watched as the vessel got closer, and a deckhand threw a rope around one of the balloon hatches. This was the first time he noticed that the balloons had already been deflated and retracted into their storage position, waiting for the next time they'd be needed. Westwood pulled down a ladder and popped open the top hatch. A deckhand wearing a gas mask called out to them from the steamboat and told them they were two hours out of port. Westwood looked out at the purple-tinted horizon and breathed in the salty air. He left the hatch open to air out the capsule, then climbed back down. Any other advice before we get to shore? He asked half-sarcastically. Don't get killed. Unless... Westwood's voice trailed off. It was a delicate question made complicated by the laws of the planet they were on. No, I'm not a synthetic. Trust me, I begged my publisher to let me send a backup body, but he insisted we not violate the convention. Besides, don't they have tests for that even on a backwater like this? They do, and you wouldn't like them. I did do a memory backup, but please don't use that as an excuse to leave me to die or be eaten or oozed on, whatever that means. Alan had never been relocated into a body. He'd been resuscitated several times, but hadn't everybody? Just follow my instructions and try not to do anything stupid, no matter your natural inclination. 
said Westwood. He leaned back and pulled his large brim hat over his eyes and went to sleep in the rocking waves. Alan was about to point out this wasn't his first time in harm's way, that he'd been in war zones and expeditions, but then thought better of it. He'd almost always had more technological backup and had done much of that via a synthetic body. This time it was his neck on the line as he followed Westwood on his trek. They weren't just going out to document danger, they were setting out to confront it. Chapter 3 Alan watched through the portal as the steamboat pulled the capsule into the harbor. There was a long, empty pier and now a row of warehouses along the shore. The steamboat headed into an opening in one of the warehouses which jutted out several hundred meters over the water. Deckhands leaped from the boat onto the dock and tied the capsule off. The steamboat retreated from the interior and vast door shut behind them. The steam engine came to life and the capsule began to shift as an elevated lift rose from under the water to raise the capsule level with the surrounding dock. Several more deckhands wearing rubber aprons and gas masks hopped onto the platform and began to spray the capsule down with a steam hose and brush its surface. Alan turned to Westwood. Seems like inefficient's overkill to me. Anything we brought with us is in the lake now. Westwood still had his hat down low over his eyes from the nap he took on the ride in. It's mostly ceremony, but part of the covenant holds that they have to at least make an effort to avoid outside contamination. Once their government stops trying, the covenant's no longer valid. After a thorough scrubbing, a deckhand knocked on the side hatch and motioned for the two to grab their gear and follow him. He led them through the back of a warehouse into an even larger receiving area that served as the customs office. Cavernous, it was made larger by the fact that other than the deckhand, they were the only two people there. Dozens of tables were lined along the middle of the building with lights streaming in from high windows. Ceiling fans were turned on via cable drive that undoubtedly led to another steam engine. It still had a musty feeling from remaining dormant for so many months out of the year. Craning his neck to see if there was anyone else to be seen, Alan mumbled, I guess it's not tourist season. He tried to imagine what it was like when thousands of people filled the building, all of them hoping for a new chance on a new world. He couldn't comprehend why someone would want to give up their modern conveniences, but then trying to comprehend why people did things was his mission in life. The deckhand, still wearing his gas mask, motioned the two toward an empty table and instructed them in a muffled voice to set their gear down on it. He took a step back as a door opened from one of the nondescript offices that lined the back of the building, and a man in doctor's whites and gas mask emerged. He was followed by another man, this one without a gas mask, dressed in a black tunic. He was rather nondescript with short-cropped brown hair and no expression. The doctor used to examining thousands of people in assembly line fashion barked at Westwood and Allen to open their mouths so he could peer inside using a tongue depressor and a gas-powered lamp. He made a ceremonial check of their pulses, necks, and other body parts. Alan glanced at the man in black, then to Westwood. Westwood nodded. Alan was about to speak before the doctor shushed him. He decided to let him perform his superfluous ritual. Covenant planets were all different, but tended to fit into certain categories. Vineland seemed to be a steam-powered world with next to no electrical power. That would preclude any kind of automatics, especially an artificial human, like the man in black obviously was. This was curious to Alan. The doctor finished his inspection and handed them each a green card the size of a playing card. He then took off his gas mask, revealing a white beard and intense blue eyes. For the first time, 
he spoke something other than a one-syllable word. Welcome to Vineland, gentlemen, he said with a slight country accent. He nodded to the man in black. Mr. Thomas is here to observe the protocols are followed. I apologize for the silly procedure. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a farm to get back to. I don't usually get visitors this time of year. A man dressed in a uniform with various badges and insignias walked through the door the doctor exited through. He began unpacking their bags and examining their things. He placed a bottle of toothpaste, the nausea gum and Alan's camera in a pile, and then pushed everything back inside the bag. The customs official quickly searched through Westwood's pack and set aside his rifle, ammo, and a kit of glass vials and scientific instruments made of brass. The artificial humanoid leaned over the table and examined them carefully without ever unfolding his arms from behind his back. Alan thought this was a silly way to do an examination, until he realized that he was actually drawing in large breaths of air through his nose to smell for any forms of technology not allowed on that world. He wasn't sure how effective that method would be against someone dedicated to bringing something through. He imagined you could drop anything you wanted from orbit and bypass the whole procedure. But then the whole point of the Covenant was in the effort. If humans did their part, the artificials would respect their boundaries, and Vineland could limit outside influences. Westwood watched as Mr. Thomas examined his belongings. Careful attention was paid to his chemistry kit. He used it to make field tests, but it also served as a mini gunpowder kit when ammunition was in short supply. Combustible powder could be made from a variety of sources, and resin bullets and shells could be made if need be. Mr. Thomas unclasped his hands and delicately picked up the rifle. He inspected it like it was an ancient artifact, which, although the design was antique, the rifle itself was only a few decades old. He traced his finger over the sponge woodstock and looked up at Westwood. You have nice workmanship, Mr. Westwood. Westwood could only imagine how Mr. Thomas knew he carved the rifle stock, but artificials were like that, picking up on things that didn't seem obvious. They were also intrigued by things that humans made. They seemed to be fascinated by art and handcrafted items. Although art made by artificials seemed vastly superior to anything done by a full human, artificials could tell the difference. Their fascination was probably no more than an adult's appreciation of a child's crude artwork, but it was a form of appreciation at least. Mr. Thomas set the rifle down and walked over to Alan's toothpaste, gum, and camera. The camera was made from brass, wood, and leather. The film was an instant print that had been approved by most 19th-century-level worlds. He looked over the camera and film stock, then pushed it aside along with the gum. He picked up the toothpaste and held it under his nose. He shook his head and handed it to the customs official without comment. The official placed it into a wax paper bag and sealed it with a stamp. This will be returned to you when you leave Vineland. But it's only toothpaste, Alan protested. Mr. Thomas spoke. The toothpaste isn't the problem. The casing is memory plastic. Vineland has a restriction on that. Alan was hoping that they could have overlooked the toothpaste casing. He'd used the ploy before in other worlds. The memory plastic could extend into a bulletproof vest, a tent, a raft, and any number of useful things. It wasn't a big loss. He just felt bad that he got caught. Alan looked at the official and continued to Mr. Thomas. If that's a problem, how come he's here? Alan knew he was overstepping his bounds and acting childish. The customs official spoke. Mr. Thomas is a bonded guest under Article 19 of the Covenant. Well, why can't my toothpaste bottle be a bonded guest too? Westwood grunted and Alan shut up. I'm sorry, 
Alan said meekly. Long journey. The customs official offered up a genuine smile. It's quite all right, Mr. Allen. We're done here. Step through the doors there and Mr. Smythe will meet you. The custom official and Mr. Thomas nodded, then left through the door they had entered through. Westwood turned to Allen. On some worlds, that's a capital offense. Pull something like that again and I'll make sure it's one here. They've got a goddamned artificial here and they won't let a simple piece of plastic through? Westwood put his ammo and kit back in the bag. First, the covenant is whatever they say it is. Second, you are here as my guest. Third, he wasn't an artificial. I thought so at first, but he's not. Alan stopped packing to let what Westwood said register. He looked through the door Mr. Thomas exited as if to see through it. He's obviously an artificial. It's fully human. Genetically selected, bred, and raised by them, but fully human like you and me. Only better in every way. Alan let that sink in. I didn't think they actually did that. That sounds so oddly inhumane. To us or to him? Westwood asked rhetorically. I don't know. Alan shook his head. I guess it all depends on if it's to replace us or understand us. Chapter 4 They exited the customs area and entered a receiving area where a man in a light brown suit stood up to greet them. He was an older man with a dark complexion. On the stocky side with a receding hairline, his goatee gave him a distinguished look. Dr. Westwood, thank you so much for coming. I'm Randolph Smythe. I'm the one that telegraphed your university about our problem. Alan made no comment to the absurdity of using a telegraph to communicate over 40 light years. These people were even more bizarre than the artificial artificial he'd just met. Smythe shook their hands, then motioned for them to have a seat, and his hand was a crumpled piece of yellow paper. I've just got some more bad news. We have another three missing, and most likely dead. Another six have gone missing beyond that. He paused. My son, Patrick, being among the most recent. He placed the crumpled paper into his pocket and pulled out a handkerchief to wipe his brow. Westwood removed his hat and creased its brim. What happened? They formed a search party after it killed the last three. I told them to wait for you to get here, but they were impatient. Smythe's eyes began to squint. They're armed. I should think that would be okay. He looked at Westwood for an answer. Westwood looked to the floor, then directly at Smythe. I only know what you've told me. Were the last three attacked together? No. A farmer and his wife were walking back at night from visiting when they were attacked. The other was a ranch hand. Well, that could mean that the initial attack may be an anomaly. If it's staying from larger groups, your son and his companions may be all right as long as they stay together. Westwood had no idea if anything he was saying was true. For the moment, he needed to give Smythe peace of mind so they could carry on. Right now, I need to know everything you know. All I have is the brief description you telegraphed me. Right, right. Smythe picked up a leather satchel from his side and pulled a folder from it. Everyone who's gone missing was attacked at night. It's gotten to the point that everyone downriver is afraid to leave their houses at night. He handed the folder to Westwood. Alan leaned in. Inside were several handwritten notes and a few diagrams. Westwood read them without comment and handed them to Alan. Our doctor, Carpenter, she prepared those. I don't know if it's much. We don't have a whole lot of people here knowledgeable about those sort of things. Our university is rather small and 
doesn't have your resources. According to this, you only have one witness who saw the creature. How reliable is he? asked Westwood. Johan? Uh, good enough, I suppose. He's still traumatized by it. I'm sure he's being honest, if nothing else. Westwood scratched his chin and looked at the diagram of tracks. According to your university zoologist, this would appear to be a large quadruped. He looked at the description again. Extremely large. And your expeditionary forces never saw anything like this? Smythe shook his head. No, no. We've got large avian-like creatures in the deep brush, bigger than the ones we use, one or two fatal encounters a year, but as far as this creature is concerned, we don't have anything on the biological record. What about the unofficial record? asked Westwood. What do you mean? There's what gets written down because there's documentation, and then there's what's talked about until there's proof. This planet never had a proper survey, so I'd have to imagine that most of the creatures you've encountered were ones your zoologist found after the fact, and not through any kind of scientific expedition. Yes, I, I see, said Smythe. There's a lots of talk, but, but you know how it is, from wild men to jungle birds larger than a dinosaur. Most of it's rubbish, I'm sure. Westwood pulled a journal from his pack and made some notes. The diagram is accurate. This thing is several times larger than a terrestrial tiger. But just as fast. I wasn't expecting that. This will be interesting. Smythe didn't know how to take Westwood's comments about things being quote-unquote interesting. I have a hotel room for you two. You can freshen up from your trip down here. Our boat downriver doesn't leave for another few hours. Alan could smell the scent of burnt rubber and plastic mixed with sweat on his clothes. A shower sounded like a great idea. Westwood stood up and slung his pack over his shoulder. That's not necessary. Is there a butcher's market near here? Yes. Do you need supplies? Smythe stood up after him. That and I want to see if I can get an idea of what this creature's prey is. He motioned for Alan to follow. In the market? Smythe was confused. Biological differences aside, it's a good bet that what one carnivore likes to eat, another might find appealing. He tapped his pack. I've read your biology guides, but I'd like to see it up close first. On the butcher's block? asked Alan. It's where the most important zoological discoveries are often made, replied Westwood, as he followed Smythe out the door. Grendel's Shadow is available on Amazon for 99 cents. Buy it on your desktop or your Kindle. You can also use the Kindle app, available on the iPad as well as all major phones, including iPhones, Blackberries, Windows 7, and Android. You can also look for it on the Nook Store and Apple's iBooks. If you'd like to purchase this audiobook in its entirety without interruption or a physical copy of Grendel's Shadow, head to andrewmain.com books. <laughs>